Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare. Hi guys, and welcome back to Medicus. My name is Rasa, and today we're kicking off a new mini-series within our show. Over the years, we've had many physicians come on our show and speak about their respective specialties, but we think it's important to highlight other members of the healthcare team. Our hope is that this series provides insight into other health professions for those who are still deciding the right path for them, gives an appreciation of the different fields for those already in medicine, and offers insight to the broader audience on what it takes to take care of patients. So today I'm joined by Blake Potts, who is a speech-language pathologist. Blake, so excited to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners, including your education and career progression? Yeah, so my name is Blake. I'm from Mechanicsville, Virginia, which is just outside Richmond. I went to University of Virginia for my undergraduate studies, and I studied French and Communication Sciences and Disorders there, which is the prerequisite track for the master's degree. And then after I graduated, I went straight into graduate school. And I pursued my Master's of Science at Florida State University. My degree there was pretty varied. I took courses and completed internships for both school-based SLP jobs, preparing me for that, or medical-based SLP jobs. I always knew I wanted to be a medical-based SLP. And when I first was in grad school, I thought I wanted to strictly work with adults. My last externship in graduate school was in a private practice, and I got connected with a facility called Lucy Core, which is a skilled nursing facility. And I completed my clinical fellowship year there, which is the first year of our employment as a speech therapist, where you're working under supervision. And that's where I started my career. So I was there for three years. And after being there, I took a job at Henrico Doctors Hospital, which is here in the Richmond area. It's an HCA hospital, and I took a job there as a PRN therapist. Initially, I was just trained to work weekends, and I did this while I was working at my other facility, and I was in the adult acute care side of things. But we have several HCA facilities in our area, so I was able to get trained at a lot of them. I worked in pediatric outpatient a little bit at Retreat Doctors Hospital, and I worked it there adult inpatient as well, and eventually kind of made my way to the NICU at Henrico Doctors Hospital. I left my job at Lucy Core. I pretty much just work in the NICU at Henrico Doctors, and I also still work inpatient with adults as well. So that's kind of my career path, and I've just celebrated three years there. So congratulations. That's really exciting. So what inspired you to pursue this line of work? Because I know it's not something that I think a lot of people know about. Yeah, I certainly didn't know about it when I started college. I always knew I wanted to work in a healthcare setting. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do, but I wanted to be part of the medical team. So while I was at UVA taking my just basic undergrad courses, I took an anthropology of language course who was taught by a professor of the speech pathology program at UVA. And it was very fascinating And he talked a little bit about the program there. And then I also, it was rather new at UVA. So I received an email that was an invitation for an info session there for their speech pathology master's program and just learned a little bit more about what speech therapists do and where they work. 
I used to think speech therapists just worked at schools, but after that info session, I learned that they do a whole lot of other things too. So that was pretty fascinating. After that, I shadowed a couple of SLPs and just fell in love with it. So that's kind of what drew me to speech therapy. And I thought it was so cool. There's such a variety of areas in our field and you can kind of move around throughout your career. So I felt like that'd be a good option for me. Yeah. So that really leads me into my next question, which is what exactly do speech language pathologists do in their day to day? It sounds like it's a very varied field, even in just the work that you've experienced throughout your career. Right. So speech language pathology specializes in the evaluation, diagnosis, treatment, and prevention of communication disorders which include language disorders, cognitive communication disorders, voice disorders, and also swallowing disorders across the lifespan. So that's kind of, that's what we do day to day. Sometimes I tell patients we work on things neck up because that is a little bit easier to understand. In a medical setting, we're often consulted for patients where there's concern for swallowing disorders. In hospitals, we conduct modified barium swallow studies with the radiologist there and identify swallowing impairments, make diet recommendations, and then identify treatment approaches. And typically, when consulted, a speech pathologist will first conduct an assessment or an evaluation and will diagnose the issue and then will begin treatment, hopefully making, making the issue better. And assessments and evaluations really vary based on what setting you work in you know, the concerns expressed and also the age of the patient you're working with. Very cool. I really like the fact that you can move around so much and work both inpatient, outpatient with different patient populations. I think that's really neat. Mm -hmm. So you kind of touched on this in your introduction, but what exactly is the education required to become an SLP? And are there any specializations in the field kind of like in medicine, you know, what we do residencies. I don't know if there's anything like that in speech language pathology. Yeah. So at this time, we're required to get a master's degree to practice speech pathology. And during your master's degree, you take coursework and you also complete internships throughout school. Typically, you'll do like a school-based internship and a medical internship, and then you might get to choose some other area as well. Um, Like I was able to work in a private practice. After you get your master's, most employers require you to get national certification, which is through our national governing body called ASHA, which stands for American Speech Language Hearing Association. And then we're also required to get licensure through the state in which we practice. And in order to maintain our licensure and certification, we have to complete continuing education courses every year, like a lot of other fields. This helps us stay up to date on evidence-based practice. And there are certain specialty certifications you can pursue as well. You can become board certified by ASHA in certain areas, like there's a board certification for child language disorders. There's a board certification for fluency disorders, which is stuttering. And then there's a board certification for swallowing and swallowing disorders. And typically to get this board certification, you have to complete additional CEUs, a certain amount of hours within certain areas. And you have to also have a certain amount of experience in the area you're getting certified in. And then if like I work in the NICU, so in the area of pediatric feeding, if that's something 
that you pursue as a speech therapist, you can become certified as a lactation consultant, which nurses can as well, or you can become certified as a neonatal therapist. So there's a few different specializations you can do. You can also pursue a PhD if you want to teach at a college or master's level or conduct research. Some people choose to do a clinical doctorate, which is like an additional If you do it with your master's, it's an additional year. If you do it separately, it's like a year and a half or two years, I think. But it just gives you the opportunity to complete additional research in an interest area that you have. Wow. That can involve a lot of education. And full disclosure, that's really how I got interested in interviewing someone regarding speech language pathology is one of my best friends. She is pursuing her PhD in speech language pathology. It just sounded so interesting because your master's degree is a lot different than I think like what a lot of us in medical school would think of as a master's degree, which is a lot of like, you know, take some classes and it's really good for like boosting your grade point average for going to school, right? Right. Yeah. For us, it's where we learn. I guess it's kind of similar to your MD degree in that it's what prepares us for our job. So some people don't know that they want to be a speech therapist in their undergraduate studies. So they might do a bridge program where it's an additional year of school, but that you get your prerequisite classes in. So your undergrad, you get a lot of those prerequisite nitty gritty informational coursework. And you do more of that in grad school, more in depth as well. But it's a lot of also learning the clinical aspect of diagnosing and treating patients. Yeah, that's really cool. So what types of conditions do SLPs mainly treat? Yeah. So I'll speak to like a medical setting first, because that's, you know, what this podcast is about. But we treat dysphagia, which is the word that means a swallowing disorder. And SLPs treat oropharyngeal dysphagia. So any impairment in the oral structures or the pharyngeal structures that are impacting your swallow, not at the esophageal level, but those can be caused by a stroke, a head injury, progressive neurological disease, brain cancer, head and neck cancer, even respiratory disorders like COPD. Patients who are status post-extubation sometimes can have some issues with swallowing, status post-trach, and even developmental disorders. We also treat dysarthria, which is often described as slurred speech, but any speech disorder following a stroke or neurological injury. Aphasia, which is a language disorder, also following any neurological damage. We treat cognitive communications disorders like memory deficits or executive function issues that can impact your communication that are often associated with TBI or dementia or progressive neurological disorders like maybe Parkinson's disease, to name one. We treat voice disorders, which can be caused by trauma to the vocal folds from extubation, voice disorders associated with trachs, progressive neurological diseases like Parkinson's disease or head and neck cancer. And this is the majority, but on the pediatric side of things, like in the NICU, I treat premature infants or infants who have cardiac diseases or neurological diseases or respiratory diseases that impact their feeding abilities. See, and that's so interesting because I would have never imagined, again, in your title, right? It's speech language pathology. So right. you would never think like, oh, what are you doing with an infant, right? Yeah. <laughs> but it's all of these things that are involved in kind of your trachea and you know, yeah. following and feeding. 
Yeah, exactly. So usually in the NICU, when I meet parents, I'll introduce myself as a feeding specialist. Because if I come in and say, oh, hi, I'm Blake, the speech therapist, they're like, well, my baby doesn't need to speak right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so interesting. So um, you mentioned a few of the settings, but what are the different settings that SLPs can work in? Yeah, we can work in hospitals, outpatient clinics, skilled nursing facilities, long-term care facilities, assisted living facilities. We work in inpatient rehab hospitals. We work for home health care companies. We work for long-term acute care hospitals. We work in the NICU, in the PICU, children's hospitals. And then there's even SLPs who, well, private practice, that's one, or SLPs who open traveling imaging companies. I mentioned the modified barium swallow studies, but another imaging, swallowing imaging study that we can do is called a FEES, which stands for flexible endoscopic evaluation of swallowing. So some SLPs get fee certified and there's actually companies that will travel to different facilities who don't have access to MBS. And that's an option for being able to visualize the patient's swallow function and identify what's what's going on, how we can treat them and what the safest diet might be for them. How would you say an SLP perhaps in the medical setting is the easiest to illustrate fits in with the rest of the healthcare team? Like if you're maybe considering one single patient case, yeah, you fit in with that. So typically, just kind of a little idea of what it looks like. Doctors will write an order for a speech therapy evaluation when there's concern about speech, language, cognitive issues, or swallowing disorders. And sometimes we'll get an automatic consult for strokes. There will be like an order set. So then once we get that order, we will assess the patient and then communicate with the team about our findings. If it's a swallowing disorder, we usually will communicate with the doctor and make a diet recommendation. And we'll also communicate with nurses. And then we enter the diet order under the doctor's name and they sign off on it. Although this kind of varies, you know, protocol for that varies by facility. We might also recommend strategies that would help patients while they're swallowing after we do a swallow study like an MBS, and we'll communicate that with nursing and also families, anyone who is involved in helping the patient eat. If it's a language disorder, we might make recommendations or provide strategies that assist a patient in communicating their wants and needs like a communication board. We'll communicate our findings with the rest of the medical team as well, especially case management or social work, as it's really important information with PT and OT to help determine what supports and therapy a patient might need after they discharge to their next level. In the NICU, we complete an oral mechanism exam and bottle feed assessments, and we communicate any concerns we have about the baby's oral or pharyngeal mechanics, like if we're concerned about a tongue tether, upper lip tether or the presence of tracheomalacia, even though we can't diagnose those things, we might suspect it and we'll let the doctor know so they can evaluate further. And any concerns we have about a baby's status during their bottle feed or extra supports they might need, like if they need increased respiratory assistance during a bottle feed is one example. So that's kind of how we work with the team and communicate with the team. Yeah, really integrated. I love it. So are there any instances in which the conditions may overlap with other healthcare professionals? So kind of like I was thinking, you know, when my friend mentioned doing some of these swallowing things, right? I just didn't think that that was something that an SLP would do. But so are there any instances where maybe treatment would overlap? 
Yeah. So typically all swallowing is kind of in the SLP realm. Sometimes we overlap a little bit, like especially if we have a head and neck cancer patient, and this is more in like an outpatient setting. There are certain manual treatment techniques that SLPs can do, but also physical therapists can do with a, with a patient with head and neck cancer. We also can overlap sometimes, or we work very closely with respiratory therapy when we work on patients who have swallowing issues that are caused by respiratory disorders. We work really closely with our facility dietitians as the swallowing or feeding issues often impact patients' nutritional status. And then sometimes we get consulted for a patient who's reporting swallowing concerns, which end up being more related to esophageal dysphagia. Mm -hmm. And so in those cases, we'll often recommend a GI consult. But we'll co-treat some with our PT and OT colleagues if a patient's participation in therapy is impacted by their communication disorder. So we might use strategies that help improve their participation. This doesn't happen as often in the hospital setting, but we see more co-treatment like that in outpatient settings and some inpatient rehab and skilled nursing facility settings. Yeah, maybe just because you don't have an access to, you know, so many people like you would in a hospital setting. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, patients just, they can fluctuate a lot in a hospital setting too, because they're a little bit less medically stable. But yeah, we are typically the ones, it does sound kind of like a PT area, but just like PTs do exercises for patients' bodies, we will do exercises for their swallowing function, which might be what your friend has talked about. So I'm vital stem certified, which is you may have heard of vital stem for physical therapy. It's a using electrical stimulation to innervate muscles. So that was actually developed for PT and now is used as a, a treatment approach for some swallowing disorders. So actually, my course was taught by a physical therapist. So yeah, there's definitely some overlap there. Very nice. So what would you like our listeners, a lot of whom are pre-medical students and medical students, to know about the field of speech-language pathology and the role of SLPs? Yeah, the big thing is our field is vast, and it's not just about speech. It's a whole lot of other things, and it takes a team to treat the entire patient. So we can help with communication as well as swallowing, cognitive communication deficits, and even feeding for infants. And are there any resources you can recommend for those who are interested in learning more about the field of speech-language pathology? Yeah, ASHA has a great website with information about each of what we call the big nine areas, which are the all the different treatment areas that we evaluate and treat. And they describe evaluations and some treatment approaches as well. So ASHA is ASHA.org. That's their website. That has a lot of information. They're always putting out research and articles. So that's probably the best place to start. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking about this really interesting field. I do hope that it sparks some conversation, especially among people who are still deciding what area of healthcare to go into. Like you said, you knew you wanted to go into healthcare, but you didn't know exactly what. And I think this is just a wonderful field. And so thank you again for coming on the show. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to talk about it anytime. Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. 
We are at Medicus Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relation is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Views and opinions are their own and do not represent any organization.